I'm a big believer that no matter where you live in the world, if you work hard, you should be able to take your money and put it in a place where the value is protected and safe and goes up hopefully in value as opposed to melting like an ice cube, which is essentially what the case is with, with the dollar and with many other currencies around the world as governments inflate the supply. It is impossible to anticipate where the two monsters which suddenly appeared in the atomic area will attack next. If your power goes out, remain calm. Oh my God. One, we go. Hello, everyone. Welcome to episode 50 of the First Sit Podcast. Today, we have with us Natalie Brunel. Natalie is the host of the Coin Stories Podcast, which is a podcast all about Bitcoin, investors, tycoons in the industry, and just people talking about the future going on with Bitcoin. She's a one-on-one special journalist, and she came highly referred via the Twitter sphere. So people reached out to us and said, hey, if you want to know about Bitcoin and crypto, Natalie's the place to start because she has the connects. With that being said, Natalie, thank you so much for coming on. Hey guys, thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited for this. Yeah, we're, we're pumped well, up too. Here we go. Yeah. Should we let the people know what happened? Yeah, we're so pumped up that we didn't press record. We, listen, <laughs> listen, we're all about transparency here, right? Yeah, we're so, honest. It's while we're sitting here talking a real about image. what we're sipping on, we gotta let the people know that we forgot to press record. We, that, for everyone listening, that is the second time that we have done that intro because we didn't press record the first time. But Natalie, we're growing. <laughs> we're growing. <laughs> and Natalie is sitting here across from us via Zoom with her awesome ring light and just such a better, like, background and, like, do up than we have. And we didn't even press record. So that's where me and Nikembe are at today, folks. Here we go. Here we <laughs> no, go. No, mine's pretty boring. I like the flag that you guys have. Mine's just a white backdrop. Yeah, you got the I ring. need my logo. <laughs> there you go. Um, so we start every episode, as we told you, with what are you sipping on? Do you have anything to drink for the episode? You know, unfortunately, I'm just trying to hydrate myself. You know, I'm one of those people that constantly forgets to, to drink water throughout the day. So I've got my I've got my crystal geyser. <laughs> yeah. Listen, the past couple of weeks, we have been all about hydration. Yes, especially the Kembe. Yeah. Yep, I am. So I'm right there with you. I got another body armor this week, people. Mm-hmm. Stay hydrated, getting the electrolytes in. Albert. Yeah. What are you drinking over there? This uh, is Dracula's blood. Yeah, this is so this is back on the beetroot powder. Dude, I think it's working. I think my cardio is getting a lot better from this stuff. Natalie, have you heard about this? No. Powder? It, it doesn't taste good at all, but supposedly it's good for um, circulation and blood flow. We'll give it a couple weeks. Mm-hmm. We'll yeah. give it a couple weeks. Hopefully you're still here. Yeah. So anyway, well, Natalie, why we wanted you to come on primarily is first and foremost, what's the deal with the podcast and what is Bitcoin? So tell us first, what is Bitcoin? Because you're the pro, we are the schmoes. And mm-hmm. what is the deal with your podcast? Yeah, so I'm so excited about Bitcoin. I learned about it in 2017 and I was a lot like you guys. I was like, okay, people are talking about this thing. It's called Bitcoin. But to me, it was just sort of internet funny money or something that I was basically about to gamble my my uh, income on. And I just really didn't understand it or why we needed it. Um, and it took me a couple of years to understand. But basically, let's just boil it down. Bitcoin is a form of digital money. Um, it is a digital savings technology and a store of value. So when you look at the current environment that we were in with our US dollar, which is being printed by the government, they printed 
about half of the money that's in circulation right now, half of the U.S. dollars just in the last year, most of it in response, obviously, to the COVID-19 pandemic. Now, what happens to the value of each of our dollars when they're printing more and more and more and more? It goes down, right? And we're seeing inflation. Everything around us is getting expensive. And um, I didn't realize really how significantly um, the ability for the government to expand our money supply basically infinitely really impacts the people who are in the middle and at the bottom of our society. And, you know, I'm certainly not, you know, someone who came from a wealthy background and has all this money where, you know, I'm not, I, I, I don't need to have a job. Like I'm affected just like most Americans by these types of policies. So Bitcoin was invented as a digital form of money that cannot be inflated or controlled or manipulated by a central party, like say a central bank or a federal government. So the two most you know, attractive aspects of Bitcoin are its scarcity. There, it was programmed to only have 21 million coins ever to come into existence, cannot be inflated. And number two, it's decentralized. So think of it as an internet version of money. So there are computers all around the world. They're decentralized all around the world in this Bitcoin network that basically verify transactions in real time, allowing people to send value between one person on one side of the planet to the other with no third party involved, no bank, no government, no CEO. Um, you just transact directly between the two parties and the computer network verifies these transactions in real time. So it's scarce and it's decentralized and it's the first form of money basically that's not controlled or manipulated by the government, which is fantastic because right now as our US purchasing power is going down, 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 down as they print more and more money, uh, Bitcoin is increasing in value and allowing you to basically take your money, put it into a savings account that over the last 10 years is the best performing asset of the decade. It has outperformed Amazon, Apple, S&P 500, pretty much any stock you can think of. Bitcoin has been the best performer. So I'm really excited about it because right now what people need most is a place to put their money where they can maintain its value and not lose it and not have to risk it and gamble it. Like people have become, you know, part-time hedge fund managers, it seems with these meme stocks or penny stocks. Um, so yeah, I, I'm really excited about it because I want to return the power back to people and give them financial freedom. Mm, I like that. That's a great way to start right there. Mm -hmm. um, now you brought up, you know, the few, well, the benefits of Bitcoin, you know, scarcity and decentralization, but also just the ability to combat inflation. Especially when you're looking at, you know, like our generation, millennials, mm -hmm. a lot of the things that we put our money into don't keep up with the rate of inflation. No. But people are still afraid to get into Bitcoin and things like that, right? So, like, do you really see this taking over as a form of, you know, people do say it's a, you know, a good savings tool, but do you see it taking place as like a form of real currency over the next few years? Or how do you think that adaptation is going to happen so people can really start combating inflation? Mm -hmm. like, how do you? Yeah, so Bitcoin is a technology really in its earliest stages, and it has a similar adoption curve actually to the internet. If you look at the internet back in the 90s and just how many people were coming on board at a certain time. So Bitcoin is actually expected to have 1 billion users by 2025 at the rate that it's being adopted right now. I call it a store of value and a savings technology because as I mentioned, it's this disinflationary asset that can't be expanded like our money supply is. And so as 
demand for it increases, but its supply remain, remains fixed, it essentially, in theory, should go up in value every single year. So why would you want to spend something that essentially is going to increase in value, right? People who are in the Bitcoin space, they know the famous uh, story of the 10,000 Bitcoin pizzas. Like at the very earliest stages of when Bitcoin was invented, someone paid 10,000 Bitcoins in exchange for two pizzas. Well, now those pizzas are worth a lot of money, right? However, that being said, you know, it was created as a peer-to-peer -peer payment system. System where, like I mentioned earlier, you could literally send value from one part of the world to another and it settles in about 10 minutes, which is amazing and fantastic. I mean, if you send it through the traditional routes, it would clear in maybe a couple of days and you'd have to pay an exorbitant amount of fees to, to remittance um, third parties like a Western Union or other type of bank. So it's really exciting that it can be used as a payment system and it has value as that sort of medium of exchange in other countries and emerging markets where they suffer from far worse inflation than us and where there are oppressive governments. And I know stories like I could share with you guys about people using Bitcoin in Afghanistan to flee the country or in third world countries in order to subvert oppressive regimes. So yes, it can be used as a medium of exchange, but here in the US, you know, the US dollar, it's decreasing in purchasing power, but it's just relatively stable, right? A dollar equals a dollar today, tomorrow. Um, so I, I see Bitcoin as something you want to save. You want to put money away so that you can have it for, for, for the future, for things like college education or a house someday, or to take care of your family. And as a hedge and insurance policy against what the banks are doing with our money supply. Um, and, and I would not want to spend it. Like, I don't want to spend my Bitcoin. I just want to save it, if that makes sense. Yeah, it really does. I like it, that. It, yeah, we'll come back to something. After. Yeah. So, so before we dive into like the podcast and, and the guests that you've had on, cause I have a couple of questions um, here, here's what I don't understand. Right. And maybe mm -hmm. you do, or maybe your guests have explained it to you better. So there's a finite value. There's only yes. 21 million coins that they're going to be, but there are miners, right? Or this is what, from my super amateur, like knowledge base, there's miners out there where they're looking for Bitcoins. So have all of them been realized? Has anyone, or no. like, are, so they're still out there. There's just Correct. free floating. What are they just coins? Okay. In, so right. is that not, is that not crazy? Right. <laughs> okay. So the mining process, um, you know, people, people equate it to mining because like any other, like think of gold, you know, you need to mine it, you need to find it or, or, um, or have it come into existence essentially. Well, with Bitcoin, this is an engineered form of money. It's programmed. It's programmed just like our emails are programmed and like the internet is programmed. So the way that the creator essentially programmed Bitcoin is starting in 2009, every single, um, um, block that was verified by my so miners are essentially like accountants they verify transactions and then they uh, add those transactions to a ledger known as the blockchain so think of every single block as a list of transactions that are verified by a miner miners are not actually people they're actually computers that are solving very complicated problems in order to verify the transactions and to unlock potentially this bitcoin reward so you have one block being a list of transactions and every time one block is verified it's added to the chain. So that's the blockchain. The blockchain is a, is a long ledger that goes back in time all the way to the first transaction of Bitcoin back in 2009. So the way Satoshi Nakamoto, the creator of Bitcoin, programmed the asset is that every four years, the amount of Bitcoin rewarded to the miners that are verifying the transactions would be cut in half. So that's what makes it a disinflationary asset. So every four years, the reward gets halved. So when Bitcoin started, every time a block was verified, the miner would get 50 Bitcoin. 
Then it went to 25 Bitcoin. Then it went to 12 and a half Bitcoin. Now it's 6.25 Bitcoin. So, um, so basically every four years, the amount of Bitcoin entering into the circulation decreases, decreases, decreases. While, as you can see with our, our government, our money supply is just expanding with no end in sight, pretty much. Um, so that's kind of the policy. I know it gets a little bit complicated because now we're dealing with just computer science and brilliantly programmed, essentially, mathematics that again, it's just transactions on a ledger that are being verified by these very sophisticated computers that are decentralized and spread around the entire world. So there's no central point of failure. Um, and that's what forms the network of Bitcoin. Man, I have so many questions. But Me too, dude. One, I'm gonna come back. <laughs> one really quick one, right? Because this is something that's uh, that a lot of people have been talking about. But when you think of the creator of Bitcoin, Satoshi Nakamoto, which mm -hmm. could, which I read online could be multiple people, right? What do you is think it true? is? Do you no, think you know the that. group of like cypherpunks from the you know like the '90s, early 2000s came together and mm -hmm. said, "Oh, let's create a form of digital currency finally," or do you think it was really one person who was able to create this type of technology? I think yes. So Bitcoin didn't wasn't it wasn't invented in a vacuum. It was a lot of programming and development work built over decades. You know, one aspect or one um, coding or programming aspect of it was invented and then someone built on that and then someone built on that. And essentially, there were many years where people were trying to create this idea of digital cash. But what I find most interesting and inspiring ab about Bitcoin and its creation is that it was born during the last financial crisis. And one of the things that Satoshi Nakamoto kind of coded into the first block was the um, was the headline from from that time of chancellors on the brink of a, a second bailout, because what happened and what Satoshi Nakamoto um, recognized and wrote about in online forums is this problem with central banking and the ability for a central authority and a government to manipulate a money supply, which ends up, again, hurting people in the middle class and at the bottom a lot. It basically just starts to destroy our economy by distorting price signals and interest rates and making it very, very complicated for anyone in the middle to, to rise in terms of social mobility. And I think it's very virtuous that they wanted to create a system which was out of the hands of the government so that there would be a finite supply and we could try to maybe reorder ourselves, create a new financial order in this digital landscape as everything moves more and more towards the internet and online and you know, hopefully create this idea of hard money once again. Um, you know, one thing that I didn't realize and I didn't know until I entered into the Bitcoin space is that we no longer run on a system of hard or sound money, meaning that it's backed by something that can't be inflated. We used to be on the gold standard here in the US, but so you could literally take your paper dollars, go to the bank and get a certain amount of gold for that. And we went off the gold standard in 1971 under Richard Nixon. And ever since then, they've just been inflating the money supply through money printing. And there's a consequence to that, right? Like in the beginning, it might lead to this really great high in the same way a drug addict taking drugs it feels great at first. But when you come down from it and the effects are really felt, it really has hurt. It's hurt us as a nation. We've gone very significantly into debt and we are having a massive amount of wealth inequality. And so Satoshi Nakamoto wanted to create a money system that is fixed in the way gold was. And so it's kind of us returning us to that idea of a gold standard, but in a digital in a digital way. And I'm really excited about that because I think it brings so much power to this idea of maybe creating a more fair, equal society. And, and I think that that's something that both the red and the blue can finally agree on. 
Mm. I like that. Especially when you brought up the whole point about just being able to not only here, you know, in America, but when you look at how other countries really control their economic system, control money and just keep things so centralized that it really mm-hmm. keeps out about 90% of the of the population there, right? Like my family's from Guyana and South America, Albert, your family's from Cuba. And, you know, you just think about like things historically that have happened there in the country where money has been a make or break in so many different situations, mm-hmm. but access to it hasn't always been so easy, right? Because being able to acquire a dollar is not how easy it is here in America, right? Like if you're not growing up in a capitalistic system, things are just different. So when you look at places like you see regulations that they're coming out with in places like China, you know, Nigeria, where they're just trying to do away with all these things that can really give people back their power. What do you think? Like, do you think it's going to be something that they're really able to push back against? Or do you think it's just going to get to a point where those systems really can't be decentralized and it's still controlled by their government at the end of the day? Well, this is what makes me really excited about Bitcoin because it's something that is as impossible to kill as the internet, you know, and, and they, mm. there's like that saying, like, you can't kill an idea, right? Um, Bitcoin is so powerful in its decentralization. That's, that's one of the things that really sets it apart from all these other cryptocurrencies. And that's why I get very nervous when other people are talking about these different tokens, because what they don't realize is that someone is behind that and someone, you know, probably pre-mined a bunch of coins and made a ton of money, or there might be a venture capital firm behind it. And someone can manipulate the supply. They can say to today there's this many, you know, Ethereum and tomorrow there's this many We're, you know, we're um, burning some or creating some. Well, Bitcoin's not like that. It's, it was basically like set forth into the world and no one controls it. No one owns it. It is like of the people by the people verified by anyone in the entire world who's on the Bitcoin network and has these mining computers, which I think is just so incredibly powerful because we are right now moving into more of a, I don't know, a, a path where potentially we could lead toward authoritarianism, right? I mean, right now we see a lot of governments just wanting to exert control over their citizens. And China's obviously on one extreme of that. But I think we see it in a lot of places because unfortunately, when you have the power of the money printer, it's very hard not to take advantage of that prerogative. I mean, every single country and empire throughout history has always abused the power to be able to control money. And I love the fact that Bitcoin removes that power from them. And it is something that essentially you can't kill because Bitcoin, like if I have Bitcoin, the government can't confiscate it from me. It's a password in my brain, right? It's like I can move across borders with it and it's essentially either in my head or on a hard drive. People, I'm, my family's from a, a communist country. My parents fled communism in Poland. And back when a lot of people were leaving those countries, Eastern European countries in the 80s and 90s, they could only take a hundred US dollars equivalent with them. And they didn't have something like Bitcoin. Well, today you could literally cross borders and you could bring your entire family's wealth with you on either a small hard drive or in your head memorized in a seed phrase. I think it's just so powerful that, you know, it's banking the unbanked. It's really giving that power back to people to be able to control what they're worth financially. And I'm a big believer that no matter where you live in the world, if you work hard, you should be able to take your money and put it in a place where the value is protected and safe and goes up hopefully in value as opposed to melting like an ice cube, which is essentially what the case is with with the dollar and with many other currencies around the world as governments inflate the supply. So Bitcoin to me, like brings me a lot of hope wherever people are in the world to be used as this, you know, savings vehicle so that people can protect their money. 
So from, from no one's ever painted the picture like that, that clearly to me before, at least from what I've seen. So I appreciate it. <clears throat> and I, it is, it is exciting when you paint the picture like that, that you can transact with anyone in the world in virtual minutes, right? I can sell something mm -hmm. to someone in Japan in minutes without mm -hmm. using an institution to wire the money and, and handle mm -hmm. it. I, I handle it to Natalie in yeah. Poland, right? Mm -hmm. Where the family's from. So that's cool. But when you said you take your entire wealth with you, isn't that only if it's with someone who accepts it though? Like we're, we're far out from the point where carrying your whole wealth on a hard drive will mean something because no one accepts it, well, right? I guess that's the, the good well, thing I have on the so so what I think you're asking is, um, you know, how can you take your wealth and let's say move it from one country to another if, if people aren't like transacting necessarily in Bitcoin? And my answer to that is, OK, let's say you were in um, let's say you were in Afghanistan. Right. And all of a sudden this crisis happened. The Taliban took over and you had a way to escape. And this is like real time. This is actually ha has happened with families. Um, you needed to escape. The Taliban comes in. There's actually there was a shutdown of the banking system. There was a run on the banks and a lot of the banks were closed. I don't know if you saw the videos where people were literally like standing outside in line and they couldn't access their money. And the only way really to get out is if you paid someone. I mean, they were doing some humanitarian evacuations, but certainly if you had access to money and could pay someone to help you get out, that was a faster way out of the country. Um, so let's say now you have Bitcoin. Well, you don't need to go to the bank. You literally have Bitcoin, which you can exchange with anyone else in Bitcoin in the world who will turn that into your local currency because Bitcoin is extraordinarily liquid. So once you have it on one of these wallets, you can change it back and forth to US dollar or to you know the a, a euro or to whatever your native currency is within a matter of seconds it just means you buy or sell on one of the exchanges or through wallets you know transacting with someone else who has bitcoin so it's extremely liquid and you know let's say you had to you know pick up your family and move well you literally could have all of your money on this hard drive that you possess you self custody you don't have to run to the bank or go to an atm you have it in your home or you have the password in your head and now you can get on a plane and you can move to France or you can move to the US and you can take that money, put it on a wallet again, sell it. And now you have however many US dollars equivalent. Um, so it's very liquid in the sense you can buy and sell immediately. It's a 24 seven market. So actually it's more liquid than something like stocks, which close at five o'clock in the evening. Um, so it's very easy actually to, to be able to trans transfer all of your wealth into it and move it across the world, which is not something you could do with gold and not something you could do with um, cash equivalents very easily. Yeah. I like that you brought up the point too about like just the conversion process of it. Right. And mm -hmm. saying like, okay, if you're moving to one place or the other, um, you have the ability to do that very quickly. Um, when I think about when we use, we still use Western Union with my family down in Guyana, and you think about the exchange rates, you think about the time that it might take to go and have it to pick that up. If the person even has access to getting to a Western Union can sometimes be an issue, yes. right? And you think about how many of us have a cell phone, mm -hmm. right? Or access to the internet, period. All it, you need. Once again, it's, it's so exciting to think about how many more people are going to have access to just the overall financial yep. system. It's like, just yeah. like how you've seen how... You talked about the Twitter sphere, like you, um, what was it, the the Arab Spring, right? And you think about like when that was uh, first starting up and when there was a lot of just revolt against the government. Mm -hmm. So at least when they used Twitter and the power of social media to spread that message, yeah. it was crazy to see. So now mm -hmm. being able to back that with some sort of financial tool with people yeah. really pushing progressive ideas, you know, really trying to make real positive change. It's, yeah, I'm excited to see what's going to happen. 
See, I love that you said that because a Bitcoin is so much about offering financial inclusivity. All you need is a phone and an internet connection, essentially to be able to transact and, and interact with the, with the network. But also I love that you mentioned um, the Western union aspect of it, because right now I I've heard so many stories about people in Nigeria who have dealt with and Zimbabwe who have dealt with ridiculous amounts of inflation and they receive remittances uh, generally through Western union and they lose 20%. So someone sending a hundred dollars home, Home, they end up only getting $80. Well, now you don't have to worry about that. You don't have to wait days for it to clear. You don't have to find a Western Union. You literally hit a button. You hit send or receive on your iPhone in your wallet with Bitcoin, and that person gets the exact amount you sent, which I think is, again, so powerful and so amazing. And, you know, we are moving more and more into this globalized world, and they're expanding internet pretty much everywhere. Once Elon Musk gets Starlink up above us, you know, everyone will have access to the internet, and more, more people than I really realized have access to phones. Like I thought it was maybe even maybe half or less than half of the world population. It's actually much more. So, I mean, it's very easy. And I think more and more so people will have very easy access to Bitcoin, which is really, really exciting. Well, I heard on your, your the most recent podcast that you just did, you guys were talking about, and you touched on it earlier in this episode, that it's, it's a super capitalistic idea. Right, because it's removing the power from the government in, in any way. There's no way to control it. I want to transact with Natalie. I'm only going to transact with Natalie. She, you can't tax my transaction. There's no in, inflation on my transaction. That's, that's cool. That's exciting. Yeah. It, I mean, once again, it takes it back to, I guess, the basics, right, of what you would hope being able to just exchange. You know, one good, yeah, one good for another really is um, without having to deal with 10 other levels of banking systems just in place for what reason we don't know so okay so we laid the landscape really appreciate it you smashed it we laid the landscape why are you doing the podcast that you're doing full-time like what what's the vision here yeah. So, um, I mean, we touched on it a little bit. I, I come from an immigrant background. My family came here for the American dream. They escaped communism and all they wanted for their kids and for their life is just to be able to provide um, enough so that their kids get a good education. And we have a house that is safe that we live in that we don't worry about. And we go on maybe a nice vacation every year. Like it, it was just like that quintessential middle-class American dream. It was nothing extravagant or greedy. And what makes me sad is it's so much harder every single year to accomplish that. I mean, my peers, I'm a millennial. It, it's very difficult to afford to buy a home. First of all, most people are graduating with a ridiculous amount of student loan debt and uh, jobs are not paying enough and everyone has a bachelor's degree. So they're basically rendered useless. And it just feels like every year the goalpost gets moved and it's just harder and harder to afford the things that the previous generations afforded pretty easily. And taxes are going up and each politician that comes in, I feel like I've, I was getting jaded personally over the last 10 years because it's like this guy blames this guy and promises a change. And then all of a sudden you look at the track record and it's like, you've been in office 30, 40 years and the problems have just gotten worse for the average person, but the richest have gotten richer. Well, clearly the system's broken, but how is it broken? And so I, as a reporter for 10 years was noticing like, Hey, there's something wrong in our system. What is it? What is it? And I think I was on this like 
quest that I didn't even realize subconsciously, like trying to figure out what was truly at the root of the problem. And it was when I fell down the Bitcoin rabbit hole that I finally understood that all of this was connected to money. The fact that we have this federal reserve that's essentially a cartel for the banks. And there's a central authority that's deciding when they print money and who essentially gets the first access to it, which by the way, are the people at the top of society, the richest that don't necessarily need it. Um, and it made me frustrated because I look at my parents and I see how hard they worked. And I see that they're good people who just wanted to be able to support their family and it shouldn't be so flipping hard. And so I felt like it was my mission to use my skills as a reporter and as a communicator and as an interviewer to spread awareness and spread this message because there is not a lot of financial literacy. It's hard to learn about a new technology. It's hard to learn about the history of money. It's very complicated. And I want to help people kind of onboard so that they have a place where they don't have to, you know, worry so much where they can allocate at least a portion of their portfolio to this asset that is fixed in supply that no one can control. That is essentially like investing in the internet in its early days and hopefully will allow them to not worry so much about their financial futures. Like that's what I really care about. I feel like people should be able to rely on the money that they work so hard for. And right now we're in a situation where if you just put it in the bank, it's, it's melting in value. And otherwise you have to, what, you know, become a stockbroker on the side. You have to have two jobs. You have to be a day trader and a dentist, a day trader and an accountant, a day trader and a podcaster. Like what kind of life is that? That's silly. Like we should be able to have one job and our money should be enough. And I truly believe that with Bitcoin, our money would be enough. Mm -hmm. Love that. I think that's, you know, you bring up the whole point about financial literacy and just the the gap that exists there with people, right? And not knowing what they can really, well, sometimes they do know, right? But it just sometimes doesn't work out. Once again, like you said, the goalpost has moved year after year. Yeah. Um, in the past 10, 15 years alone, we've had two crazy black swan events where it's just like, okay, you have the 2008 financial crisis and then you have the pandemic. And within that time, like think about their parents, you know, who are sitting there still trying to figure out how to get out of the 2008 hole. And then you get hit with the pandemic and it's just like you're not getting back on any sort of financial footing in in a short time but like mm -hmm. you said you look at things like bitcoin you look at what it can do for you over the next five ten years right just based on some of the principles that are built into it it really is exciting to see what it's gonna what it what it can change and what it can do mm -hmm. um but i mean hmm. at the same I, it's just it, it really is it just goes to like it really does make you just sit back and think like, okay, with all of these different things, though, it's like, what's going to make people really tap into it and, and change, mm -hmm. right? And, and start gaining the education because there are so many like financial literacy courses. You know, you have like the, your podcast, you have people like Rashad and Troy and Earn Your Leisure, who I talk about all the time. Sure. And like you said, you see people who rely so much on these politicians and say like, oh, well, maybe they can make this right for us, right? Or like maybe they can fix the situation. But then you have people like you who are just sharing it. So mm -hmm. is there... Anything that you can maybe like recommend to people to get them interested in learning more about financial literacy and really wanting to tap into it? Because like you said, politicians aren't coming to change it. And sitting here, you know, blaming Democrats or Republicans for not mm -hmm. instilling some policy when you can go there and literally just start investing in mm -hmm. the same market that you're complaining about. 
how do you get people yeah. into that? Yeah. How'd you get so versed? Yeah. 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 So, I mean, obviously it does, it does take time. Um, but I, I love how the internet right now is, it's almost like you can get a free college education and whatever you want through 100%. things like podcasts or YouTube and shows like yours, shows like mine. So that's really exciting. Um, I really went down the rabbit hole and I just started to consume everything related to Bitcoin. And I would say that the number one resource that I always recommend to people is a book called the Bitcoin standard. It's by Saifedina Moose, who is this brilliant engineer slash economist, um, economy expert. And he really, um, it's kind of a bit of a misnomer because it sounds like it's an entire book about Bitcoin, but actually it's about eight, nine chapters of the history of money, which I don't care what your background or industry is. Look, we all, we all use money every single day. I can't leave my house without spending 20 bucks. Um, so I think everyone can get on board with reading the history of money. It is so fascinating. I was like, whoa, I can't believe I didn't learn some of these lessons um, and facts in school. And then the last two chapters are about Bitcoin and how it sort of fits into the picture and the problem that it's trying to solve. So I highly recommend that everybody who's curious, um, just even about their money and why it's losing value and what and why we're talking about inflation and all this stuff today, read the Bitcoin standard. It is phenomenal. Um, my second favorite book behind that is probably a book called The Bullish Case for Bitcoin, which actually started as an article. So if you only have time for an article, you could Google it, The Bullish Case for Bitcoin by Vijay Boyapati. Uh, Vijay was an early uh, Google employee, and then he went actually to work for work in the political process because he was hoping to spark change through politics and then realize that the establishment is just too rigid and and things are change is so difficult to accomplish because we live in such a polarized devised world but he found that um you know, Bitcoin can actually make that change. If we adopt this technology, it can actually be the change that we want to see. So those are my two favorite resources. And then I'm trying to help people through my podcast. So if people want to listen to like the biggest thought leaders, people from all different industries who I consider some of the smartest people on the planet, why they believe in Bitcoin, you can go to coin stories and like go all the way to the beginning. And I have literally the most brilliant minds talking about what, you know, what their careers and lives were and why they got into, why they got into Bitcoin and why they believe in it. So um, that's generally where I like to to point people. Yeah, and and you, and you do have have. I mean, I've I've scrolled through and I've listened to like a decent amount of the podcast just because I was interested in, and, and for this and trying to verse myself. Oh yeah, they're they're phenomenal. So here's another question for you that maybe one of your guests have answered or this has been posed before. Why aren't mining machines being gobbled? They have to be right exclusive, or is there difficulty in obtaining a mining machine? So why why are they? I wouldn't even know what to do. To obtain one, probably what, the energy. Yeah, I don't energy know. Cost. What's this? Is it wattage? Is it cost? What What are the the it's obstacles? Cheap. It's not cheap. Yeah, so definitely one of the things about Bitcoin, because its verification system is based on something known as proof of work, it is capital intensive in the sense that you have to put up capital and you have to buy these mining um, computers. Most of them are, are referred to as ASICs. Those are like the, the name brand in the, in the space that people uh, people people know. And, and then you also obviously have to find energy. Now, there's a bit of a, a myth out there that, that Bitcoin is like this planet, you know, destroyer because it's using up all this terrible energy. And that's actually not true because Bitcoin searches for the cheapest energy and often uses stranded energy. And more than 70% is mined using green or renewable energy. And it's actually driving innovation in that direction because miners are constantly trying to figure out the cheapest way to use power in order to mine. So it is not like this um, operation that's using up our, you know, creating the, the, the carbon issues because of coal powered plants and all that. They're 
actually going on, let's say oil um, fields where there's a ton of stranded gas and they're capturing that and they're using that to mine, which is actually helpful for everybody. And uh, I wish people would, you know, really hear that and like not be swayed by some of the narratives that are out in the media because Bitcoin mining uses less than one tenth of 1% of the world's energy. And think about, you know, we don't moralize the use of Christmas lights or washing machines or, you know, dishwashing machines. Those use up a ton of energy and certainly our banking system across the world uses a ton of energy and lights, but we don't measure that. And somehow, you know, this network, it's a computer network that's backing up people's value so that they can maintain what they earn through their jobs and live on it. You know, they're upset that that uses one tenth of 1% of the energy in the world. Like it's, it's so silly to me. It's so crazy. Um, but I do think it's really interesting where, you know, in terms of like the, the hardware and software innovations that are happening in the space, like the chips that are used in ASICs, I believe that they're made in Asia. And so, um, you know, maybe in the future, there is going to be more and more competition of who's going to make these, but it, it's not easy to put up a mining uh, pool. A lot of people pool resources together to create this, this um, operation, these operations where they can verify. And these computers are so sophisticated. They're solving very, very complicated problems. And what's fascinating is um, I'm just going to share a little tidbit because I nerd out on this. Like I was never a computer science girl or, you know, I, I never really understood computer science, but one of the most genius aspects of Bitcoin to me and what keeps it on the schedule of 10, every 10 minutes, a block is verified. And you have this time schedule of when all the Bitcoin will eventually be released is because Satoshi Nakamoto created something called the difficulty adjustment. And the difficulty adjustment is essentially how difficult are the mathematical equations that the mining computers have to solve in order to verify the blocks. Well, think about it. If you have a bajillion computers you can throw on an equation, wouldn't you be able to solve it faster, right? I mean, like logically you'd think, well, then like all of a sudden they would solve all the computer or the, the equations and then you'd have all the Bitcoin unlocked. Well, Satoshi even thought of that. So basically what happens is as more computers go on the network, as there's more miners, the equations get harder. So think about it as like, um, like a bicycle lock, right? So let's say you have four digits, right? And the computer has to think of all the four digits so that it tries one, 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 then one, 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 two, then one, 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 three. And eventually you know, one of them works, it unlocks and all the computers can verify that was the correct answer because the lock unlocked, like the Bitcoin was, was offered. Um, now think of it like if there's more computers, now that lock, the four digit number turns into a 26 digit number. So now the computers have to try to solve 26 you know, combinations. So it's like, it's so fascinating how brilliantly this was programmed. And it guarantees that like this schedule of Bitcoin is released every 10 minutes, every 10 minutes, there's a block added to the ledger. And it's just like, it's mind blowing to me. Like it's, it's so exciting and fascinating. Yeah. It's it, it really how much is, they it, planned it. It's, and that's, yeah. it's pushing so much innovation right now, right? Just the whole world of cryptocurrency in general, right? We talked the other day about the metaverse, NFTs, how all these things are now starting to come into you know, the game and it's just, it, it really is just moving at such a fast rate, especially when you think about like from the time, like the dot-com era, right. to like where we are now and how much technological innovation has happened. It's like, what's going to happen over the next 20 years Yeah, with all these things. Right. Well, I know we didn't have 20 years ago. We didn't have Facebook. We didn't have Instagram. We didn't have Netflix. Nope. We didn't have Amazon. We didn't have all the things that pretty much consume all of our lives today. Mm -hmm. well, well, that one guest that you had on the, like, well, I said to you in the email that he's the CNBC uh, chief, like financial correspondent, Bone Parth, Doug Bone Parth. Oh, yeah. Yeah. How, how he said that he had a, a miner in like 2016 that he paid $3,000 yeah. $3, for and it mm -hmm. what, got like, him like 700 Bitcoin or something like that. 
That's so crazy Insane. to see where that is now. That's what I'm saying. It's like mm-hmm. it really, it's like a real life video game that some people are playing. Now, I Well, I was thinking the whole time that she's saying all this is because I'm trying to make it like stupid. Mm-hmm. Right? I, I, I know I feel like it, people are listening like are stupid. Not make, that it, make it seem I like am. a video game. Yeah, there's hidden like gold yep. out there, basically. You'll sit there or think about it. As a new game comes out, more players might join the game, right? And then things get more and more competitive. Right. Because like getting harder. Now with Perry, the, comp- the gaming pool just grows, right? So now it's like, okay, there's your elite gamers. There are the people at the bottom who really aren't going to be great. Which is us. Yep. But hey, yep. That, that pool is growing. Yeah. So, um, based on like all of your guests, Natalie, w- w- has, has there been anything that has like blown your mind? I mean, I, I'm sure there's been multiple things, but like, is there like a favorite takeaway or like a really cool piece of advice that you received from one of the, the super high tier guests that, that you had on or something that like stuck? You know, I, I have a more general answer to that because truly like I've had more than 40 guests on in the last, um, like eight months or so that I've had the the show and it's just been so inspiring to hear from so many people from so many different backgrounds and industries who ultimately came to the conclusion of how amazing Bitcoin is. And for me, really the most inspiring thing has been just like how smart everybody is and how much they care about like making the world a better place. And, and how this like technology is something that harnesses both our most virtuous, like altruistic side and also our most greedy, self-interested side. Because at the end of the day, you you want to get into Bitcoin because you want your money to go up in value, right? You want, you want money. You want to be able to hold on to the value of your money. So like that's essentially, that's you operating on your self-interest and people who are mining, they're trying to get the rewards that's operating on self-interest. And yet this incentive structure, this incentive program that create that uh, Satoshi Nakamoto created, that's completely decentralized. It benefits literally everyone. Whereas the incentive system that we have currently with our government is it's very few people benefit. Everyone else is kind of left suffering the price increases. And so what excites me is like to meet all these people and to get to know all these people who are not only smart, but they really hope that this like makes the world a better place that where more people have access to money that they can rely on. And I just, I love that, that it like couples are most virtuous and our most self-interested side and like brings about something so beautiful that could help so many people. It is an insane idea. Boom. I yeah. love the idea. Yeah, you know, I, I know I'm, you do. You know, I'm a big techie. I yeah, love going on those rabbit yeah, holes. Yeah, the, the Kembe goes down uh, the same rabbit holes I, you do, Natalie. I'll sit there and just come back and text her. I'll be like, bro, you got to look into this. Yeah. You got to look into this. Be like, this person's going to space. Yep. We got to look into that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but when you, quick question, what exchange do you think people should use if they're looking to start investing in um, in crypto and Bitcoin in general? So I think she's going to say, okay, coin. I was, I was trying to give her a little alley-oop there for a quick plug. Yep, yep, so. <laughs> yeah, so I have I have two that I recommend, and both of them I actually use and I, I trust. So the first time I heard about OKCoin was actually through the author, Saifedi Namus, who wrote the Bitcoin Standard, and he mentioned it on his podcast. And he um, said that it had the lowest fees for something known as dollar cost averaging. So in the Bitcoin world, you know, the the um, the price value, it just swings. It's up one day, it's down one day. And the best uh, the best method to invest is something called dollar cost averaging, where you pick a certain amount on a certain day. Let's say it's once a month or twice a month or however much you can afford. And you say, I'm just going to buy at whatever the market price is that day. And over the course of the year, you have sort of this dollar cost average of the price that you paid for Bitcoin. And sometimes it's higher, sometimes you got it lower, but it all kind of averages out. Um, And that's the best way. It's kind of like a a deposit, like a direct deposit into a 401k, which is great. So I recommend 
two platforms, OKCoin, which again, I first heard about from one of the most well-respected authors in the space. And um, I now do some work with them. So you can go to go.okcoin.com slash Natalie. You can get $50 in Bitcoin if you sign up. And then the other one is a company called Swan and Swan is Bitcoin only. So OKCoin is great because it's one of the um, exchanges that's available in the most amount of countries. And it also has the other coins if that's something you want to speculate on and, and invest in. So like Ethereum, Miami coin, Stacks, whatever you want to do. I'm a believer in free markets, invest how you you know want. Um, Swan, on the other hand, is Bitcoin only. And they're this amazing company that wants to promote education in the Bitcoin space. They hold the Bitcoin in very safe, cold storage with a great company. And I, um, some of the people that I've interviewed, some of the top, top, top people are investors or on the advisory board and they hold their Bitcoin on Swan. So those are the two companies that I would say are like leaders and I trust the most in the industry. I used to, when I first started out, I had Coinbase and I had some customer service problems with them and I had issues buying. And one time, like I was in another country and I had trouble. So unfortunately, like they sort of lost me as a customer. Um, so OKCoin and, and Swan Bitcoin is where I point people to. Nice. The dollar cost averaging point makes so much sense. So you're basically saying set a reoccurring investment instead of purchasing just one coin. Not that someone has $47,000, but if you have one coin, who knows the next day, the value of your coin could be down $6,000. Whereas over time, if you were to set a reoccurring investment, it'll average out to just grow steadily with the trend instead of spiking and falling over time. Yeah. So I, I really love to reiterate the message that you don't have to buy or have a whole coin. Right. Um, I really want to remind people to think of this as a 401k, like a savings technology where you can literally set as little as $5. Like maybe you give up your coffee a week, right? And you set every Friday, you're going to put $5 into Bitcoin and just watch what happens to it over the course of the year. Because just last year, it appreciated more than a hundred percent. So whatever you put in, you would have gained a hundred percent on what you put in, whether that was $20, $100 or $100,000. Um, and just allow it to sit there and don't touch it for at least four years. This is not something that I want people to trade in and out of. I don't think that's the wise way to look at it. It's not timing the market and trying to figure out when to sell, when to buy back in. No, it's a savings account. It's like you put it in, you set it and forget it. And over the course of any four year period that people invested, no one has lost money on Bitcoin, which I think is amazing. It is literally the best performing asset of the last decade. Um, over 10 years, Bitcoin appreciated about a million percent. And the next best performer was Tesla at 15,000 percent. The next best was Amazon and Apple around 13, 1400 percent. The next best performer was like the S&P 500 at 300 percent. Like I know I have this weird memorization thing with that, but but truly like Bitcoin has outperformed pretty much everything. So it's really amazing. At the start of your episode, you give a disclaimer. Do we have to do that? right now? Um, you know, I think it's always a good idea too, because, um, you know, we live in a very litigious society and at the end of the day, like this is educational information and people have to make their own investment decisions or work with certified registered financial advisors to make their decisions. And you don't want anyone coming after you, you know? So, um, so I always like to say in front of my episodes that, you know, this is for informational educational purposes. I'm not telling anyone what to do with their bank account. Um, and people have to be careful. Like this is a volatile asset. Asset. It's going to go up in value. It's going to go down in value. But look at the long-term chart. It's going up and up and up and up compared to the purchasing power of the dollar. But it it doesn't. It's not risk-free. Nothing is in in the of space of investing of in financial markets. So. And to just piggyback on that, anybody who is um, a little concerned, right? This is not advice. It's not investment advice. But just go check your savings account. 
uh, interest rate, right? To see how much you're getting on a yearly if you're basis. Getting it. If yeah. you're getting it. Over the past four years. Ask your parents how it's been over the past <laughs> 20, 30 years. I remember mm-hmm. sitting in the bank and hearing people tell me about getting interest on an account in the double digits. Talking about 11, 12, 13% of their savings account. Oh, that's crazy. Imagine that. Well, that'd be great. We'll never see 5% again on a savings account. No shot. Ever. Yeah. You see percentage points if that. Some insurance products might give you 4%. And that's if you really yeah, yeah i mean i in our lifetime i honestly think we'll see negative interest rates where we're actually paying for them to hold our money yeah it's and it's getting there that's yeah that's the thing like bank, if people haven't noticed the changes in banking over the past once again decade then yeah we're diving in start opening the books it's, it's all right there yeah. So, yeah so um natalie before we dive to the content rec and you i mean you've given three already just can you just reemphasize what the names of the the two books were that you said the yes. bitcoin standard and a uh, bullish case for Bitcoin. Okay. Yeah, just because it's something we're going to listen to. Do you have any questions for us or anything else you want to touch on before we dive into our content, Rex? Yeah, I mean, I'm just kind of curious, you know, when did you guys first hear about Bitcoin? Have you guys invested in it? Or are there any other questions that you guys have that would answer, you know, some, some maybe some fear that you have around the asset? Mm, so let's see. For me, I started learning about it back in... When did I first hear about it? 2017? Yeah, you, yeah. Okay. you were early on the wave. 2017, I started learning about it. Dude, was, you could be so rich right now. Yeah, I was now. still working at Wells Fargo, and everybody told me, they were like, well, you better stay out of that. Put your money in your 401k. And this is when I really started learning about, you know, like really diving into financial literacy. So mm-hmm. at that point, I was like, okay, you know what? These advisors, advisors, they probably know a little bit more than I do. Then time shows itself, and then you see how things change. You see how value of things go up. You see... Bitcoin go up thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars and your 401k gets a nice 15, 20% return over time. Maybe a little bit better if you're, you know, if you're really managing things. But yeah, um, I don't think I have any fears. I think for me, it was just a big education side. Like I like to learn about things before diving into it. It was the same thing with like real estate, right? So like before I became an agent, I'm like, let me read up as much as possible um, and just learn about the world because like I said, we're still really early in the, in the uh, game of Bitcoin. So yeah. I think, you know, having conversations with people like you, some of the other people in the industry is just going to prepare us even more. So I'm excited to see what happens. Uh, Natalie, Dikembe, just to let you know, was a like a harbinger or, or someone who would always brag about crypto and like he was super high on it. He, it. he wasn't an individual who went heavy on it because we were kids when he like first heard about it. But oh, Dikembe yeah. flagged Ethereum when it was like $5. Wow! And today it hit like thirty four hundred, and like he was really harping about Ethereum, Mana Coin. I mean, like I know you were talking about like you know speculating on the um, altcoins, but things like that. Like you see things like Decentraland that's popping up now. Like listen, if we would have held on to Mana Coin back when it was like fifteen cents. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The Kembe, the Kembe is it gets sad about that stuff. Just a little bit. Personally, me, um, I just recently got like interested in it because I I see where things are going, and I just see the more frequent how like often it's a headline. Um, and then I've had decent conversations with individuals and I myself have invested. Um, but having you on was a goal of mine just because you're the first like expert ish that we've spoken to. Mm -hmm. And so it's been super helpful. I don't have fear. A risk is a risk or an investment is an investment. Um, but I definitely see a light at the end of the tunnel and see the value or I wouldn't have put money towards it. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. No, I'm so excited about it. I get excited whenever people ask me about it. <laughs> yeah. No, I'm, I love talking about crypto. Yeah. Yeah. It's cool. It's so, um, actually, you know what? I'll save that question for you off air. Mm, I'm excited to hear what that question is. Yeah. yeah I, gotta, I gotta go one, but damn. Yeah. Um, dude, do you have a content record of the week for us? Um, so yeah, let me pull up the book here, get the title right. 
but obviously people go check out uh, Natalie's podcast. But Coin Stories. Thank Coin you. Stories. The mm-hmm. name of the book is So Good They Can't Ignore You by Cal Newport. Mm. Have you heard of it? No. Natalie, have you heard of it? Mm-mm. So basically he talks about, and I posted this on my um, Instagram earlier today, he talks about that distinction between, you know, like following your passion, but also having enough skill in the field that you're pursuing to make it make sense, right? So mm-hmm. he really talks about like not just blindly following that mantra that people tell you, oh, follow your passion and the rest of it will make sense, right? He's more so saying, okay, become really good at whatever it is that you're passionate about so that when mm-hmm. you do present your passion to people that it's it's a no-brainer that they want to work with you, you know, that they want to take part in your, your creative art or whatever it is you're putting out there. Don't just assume that people or that you're, whatever you're putting out into the market has value just because you're you, right? He says, mm-hmm. like, once again, get the skills, get the knowledge that's necessary, and then, you know, put yourself out there or do both at the same time, you know? So that's my content, right? So good they can't ignore you. How about you, Bert? So mine is half podcast, half uh, YouTube video, um, or at least a series of YouTube videos. Just look for it. So my, my podcast rec is Huberman Lab. It's about mm. Dr. Andrew Huberman. Have you ever listened to it? No. Kembe? You ever listened to it, Natalie? So he is a neuroscientist at Stanford and he has like built his entire study on how to optimize health and utilize science. Yeah. 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 Like mood adjustment, habit, behavior, health, like not tricks, but things you should be doing. Mm -hmm. And I would encourage everyone to just look up Huberman, H-U-B-E-R-M-A-N, daily walk. So he did this entire study and has researched multiple studies on just walking outside from a light exposure standpoint, not from an exercise standpoint. He doesn't even care about the exercise that you're getting. Walk outside for 10 minutes, supposedly, and and listen to him talk about it, Dr. Andrew Huberman, supposedly your exposure to just light, like Mm -hmm. the sunlight and passing by images in your eyes is so beneficial for us and can like greatly increase your mood and health. I don't know. So I, I find that stuff so cool when there's science backed behind cool tips to make you feel better that are easy like taking a cold shower or walking outside and seeing the world pass you by so my recommendation is the hooperman lab podcast and his youtube videos there we go natalie natalie i love that i think that's awesome i think that's so it's so beneficial especially in a time where we've been locked up right and and i think that what's what's really sad is um you know i think that cdc person was on the airwaves a couple of days ago saying, you know, people who are getting really significantly hit by COVID have these comorbidities and they're sick. And like, we as a nation are getting more and more unhealthy and relying on pharmaceuticals. And like, we could start with simple things like taking a walk and taking control back of our health and doing little things that are natural that we can like assist our immunity and a walk in sunlight is a great way to start that. So. Yeah. And he tells you why, like everyone knows it. And when you do it, you feel good. Like no yeah. one will go outside and walk for five minutes and not feel good. Yep. But he tells you why you it's feel good, which is, which I always find interesting. Natalie, is there anything else you want to, you want to say before we sign off? Do we get our content rec? Uh, well, she gave the two books and her own podcast. Do you have another one? Do you have anything else? Are you watching a good show? Mm, um, I mean, I'm just like, actually right now I'm reading, uh, rereading a book called Layered Money, which is another book I love by Nick Batia. It's another book on the history of money. I just like reading about it. Um, so I, I, I guess what I just want to say is I want to inspire people that like, if they look at the world around them or if they live in the U.S. especially, um, and they just see like, 
you know, red versus blue, this team versus that team, everyone's like mad at each other. And there's just a sense where you don't have hope of a better future. Take a moment to just start learning about Bitcoin, because if nothing else, you will learn why some of these problems exist. And you might finally have a sense of hope that things could get better through technology and through a a network that was literally created in order to fix these problems. And it might inspire you and it might make you feel a little bit safer and better about the future. And, And if anyone has questions like, I, I open my DMs, like I'm, I'm here to help. So, you know, let me know how I can help you down the path. Awesome. Final, final question. Yeah. Nice. Have you talked to the Winklevoss twins yet? So Tyler is supposed to be on my show soon. Yeah. You just made the there we go. Day. I don't there know we who go. that is. I'm looking forward to that episode. Day. So here we go. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. Uh, Natalie, thank you so much. As we've said multiple times, you were phenomenal. Uh, we'd love to talk to you again in the future as we watch yeah. Bitcoin trend on its way up. And if there's anything we could do to assist you, this has been excellent. Everyone, check thank out what she said to check out. Thank yeah. you. Yeah. Have me on anytime. I'd love to help. And you guys are awesome. Glad you're doing this show. Good luck with it. Thank, thank you, you so much. Thank and you. as always, everyone, enjoy the first tip.